Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Jack Luke and today I'm joined by Simon Bromley and we're going to bring you a little roundup of the juiciest nuggets of tech we have spotted at this year's Tour de France. Simon, you are a chronic nerd committed to the cause of looking through Getty on your, your lunch times, picking out all the latest and greatest stuff to be seen in the Pro Peloton. So let's just get straight into it. What are the big tech trends for this year? What's the new stuff? Give me the scoop. Yeah, you're right. I do absolutely love it. And yes, uh, the, in, in Britain, we might say I'm an anorak. Um, yes, which is basically I would definitely means, say that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it basically means I'm a, I'm a big nerd, but that's why I work in the cycling industry because... As you say, like uh, I just I want all the I want all the juicy scoops just like you. And so yeah, we sp- I spend quite a lot of time watching the race, combing through. And when someone gets dropped, I'm often like, is that guy riding a new bike? <laughs> <laughs> Not really worrying about what's going on in the race. So um, so yeah, that's that, I guess that's why we do this job. But um, so yeah, in terms of uh, tech trends at this year's tour, it's actually been reasonably quiet in terms of new tech, and I guess that's kind of reflective of you know, the, the kind of last kind of 18 months have, have caused massive delays for brands. And so there isn't a lot of like brand new tech on display. And unfortunately, one thing we haven't seen is any kind of sign of a new Shimano Dura Ace group set. We saw that before the tour and we, we've covered that extensively on bikeradar.com and in this podcast. And uh, we've not seen hide nor hair of that. It's a big shame. So we won't be discussing that today. 
Yeah, I'm quite surprised to be honest. It was one of my predictions when we did the preview podcast that we would see it, and I'm you know disappointed to have been proven wrong. We'll say that although I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, I've picked out some good new stuff at the tour, but it is also entirely possible that manufacturers are saving their truly good bits for the Olympics, which follows very, very shortly after the tour. So I've no doubt we're going to see more there. But there is definitely good stuff to talk about, Simon. Absolutely, yeah. So I think one of the big trends we've seen this year is that non-sponsor correct kit is uh, making a big comeback amongst the kind of top teams. And you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that, obviously, later in the podcast. But uh, a main, you know, the kind of big trend there is with wheels. So we've seen a lot of like wheels with, with no decals. And we've had to spend a lot of time kind of surfing the internet, trying to work out what those wheels are. So that's been quite fun. Obviously, the other big tech story is that uh, Tadej Pogacar, who's the current race leader, is using a bike with disc brakes. And he has been using a bike with disc brakes in every stage except the time trial. So this could be the first Tour de France one on disc brakes, which may or may not be significant, depending on who you ask. I know we mention it all the time. Maybe this will settle it. It probably won't. We'll still be talking about it in five years, but that's that. <laughs> um, Mark Cavendish has obviously had an incredible comeback, and he's been using clinches. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. As always, there's been some new fast time trial kit, particularly focused around, as I said earlier, a bit on wheels and then some front end stuff. So that's been quite fun. And as always, there's been some lovely new custom paint jobs. And I know that our readers, and us to be fair, we often bemoan that most carbon bikes, they all kind of look the same. They come with a lightweight black paint job. And it's really, really boring. So we're going to celebrate some of the nice custom paint jobs that we've seen. Wonderful stuff. Onto the um, non-sponsor correct kit, I think it's useful to give a bit of context as to perhaps why we're seeing less, we'll call them hodgepodge builds than we used to in the past. And really that is primarily down to large bike brands. So your Specialized, your Trex, but then even, you know, your BMCs, uh, you know, smaller brands and the biggest, biggest names are now manufacturing a lot of stuff in-house. So that could be cockpits, finishing kit, wheels, the whole lot. And that's meant that there's been less scope for modifications because, well, one, a lot of the stuff won't work on these bikes because they're only designed for that specific system. Or because, you know, there's increasing influence from sponsors in the decisions that, you know, pros don't get to make, more to the point. Would you say that's true, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's exactly right. And, and I think the kind of rise of the house brands over the last kind of decade in particular has been huge. And there are very few brands now that don't also do, as you say, like ranges of wheels, components, and, and even to the point, as you kind of pointed out there, that most bikes, especially the kind of aero integrated bikes, will often come with a proprietary cockpit now, and they may have a proprietary seat post and you know, that seat post might only be compatible with certain saddle rails. And you know, all of these things meant the kind of opportunities to go beyond the kind of stock spec that the bike sponsored offered had just narrowed down those choices. And and yeah, I think it also has to do with kind of uh, brands ex just exerting a bit more influence. But I think at this year's tour, and I think, I think it's kind of following the example of uh, Ineos Grenadiers, you know, formerly Team Sky, and they have long been kind of infamous or famous for going against uh, sponsor commitments in, in favour of, you know, where they felt that there was a potential performance gain. And I, and I wonder if a lot of the other teams have kind of been looking at that and saying, you know, we just can't afford to give up that gap. And so if we see a potential advantage, 
they've obviously been telling their sponsors we're going to have to we're going to have to use it and maybe we'll just take the decals off yeah i think you know hey you know we don't want to blow smoke up their bums but i think a lot of teams have very much followed their path in all regards not just kit but the way they approach racing in general so i don't think it's outrageous to suggest they've perhaps heralded that comeback of using non-sponsor correct kit yeah and and i think you know it's without you know obviously without wanting to throw shade at any one particular brand the kind of main trend has actually really been that a lot of pro teams are not they seem to be unhappy with using shimano's wheels now i haven't ridden any of shimano's latest kind of uh, tubular race wheels so i don't i can't really comment on whether they're good or not but the main trend has been you know especially in time trials and then sometimes in road stages but teams are using wheels from different brands like Vision or Aero Coach. Um, we've seen a lot of Roval discs. And, and I think, you know, part of it might be that Shimano doesn't offer kind of high-end tubeless race wheels. And a lot of the teams, especially in time trials, are moving towards kind of tubeless tyres and clincher tyres for those kind of races because those marginal gains make a very big difference. And, you know, perhaps that's something we'll see. I mean, Shimano loves to kind of launch its wheels along with its group sets. So if we're expecting a new Duo Ace group set to launch soon, then we may also see a new wheel range. So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of changes things. I'm not sure really, but yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of I, teams who are unhappy. Yeah. I, I, I think it's probably a case that, you know, you or I would be very happy. In fact, if they fancy, by all means, send me a pair of Duo Ace wheels. And I'm <laughs> sure I'll be absolutely delighted with them. But if you're a pro chasing again, as we always like to say, marginal gains or a win, then it's going to be pretty hard to say no if there's these great claims and proven claims as well of, of performance that another wheel set might offer. And the kind of names that you're seeing sneak in there are the likes of Aerocoach, we've seen a bit of the Princeton Wheelworks and like you said, Vision. So, you know, these are brands which really put aerodynamics at the forefront of anything, everything. Um, actually, just briefly, Simon, off the top of your head here, uh, endless boundless amounts of knowledge would you say shimano's wheels they're kind of durace wheels are they relatively wide in the kind of context of uh I, riding I, think on I think they're not i think that i think that's kind of part of the the issue is that shimano's wheel designs have always been relatively conservative and so i would say they'd be optimized for maybe a 25 millimeter tire and even like shimano's deepest rim is a 60 millimeter rim and it only comes in tubular and we've seen a lot of teams using for example the aero coach titan front wheel so jumbo visma have been using that in time trials and ineos have also been using that in time trials yeah and that has a uh, 100 millimeter deep tubeless ready rim so you know when you combine the kind of the extra rim depth with the kind of potentially wider rim and you know the ability to run kind of faster clincher or tubeless tires you know the, the kind of performance gap between those two wheels might be reasonably significant and clearly significant enough for a lot of teams to you know risk upsetting a sponsor like shimano and you know taking another wheel from another brand and just taking the decals off i think if we do see shimano launching a new range of wheels when it comes around to durace eventually making its way into the public sphere I think they'll perhaps clap down on that. You know, they're not going to be wanting to see brands using third-party wheel sets when... Oh, sorry, they're not going to want to see teams using third-party wheel sets when they've got their all-singing, new-dancing uh, group sets. So perhaps all of this will come to a startling halt quite quickly. 
Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, it's, you know, I think we've spoken about this before, but you know, the time trials especially are a really interesting one because, and I, and I just wonder if Shimano doesn't see the value in kind of investing much research and development in making time trial specific kit. And you know, obviously Shimano does a kind of a tri-spoke tubular wheel, and they do a clincher version as well. And they also do, you know, their kind of subsidiary brand Pro does a, a disc wheel. But I don't think they then, you know. I'm sure they would admit as well that those wheels are not on the cutting edge and I don't think they put as much research and development money into that sort of stuff as they do with their you know group sets and things like that and and I think you know to be fair they don't do that with their road wheel range either their their road wheel range like they make great hubs and we're a big fan of the kind of cup and cone design but I don't think their rims have ever been on the kind of cutting edge of wheel design compared to a brand like say Zip or head mm. or something like that and you know maybe that's something that will will change when they launch their next generation of things but i don't know i i have to say i'd be, i'd be slightly surprised if they came out with something like a hunt limitless wheel yeah yeah for sure i think you you touched on it briefly there with zip i think from a purely boring industry perspective the likes of sram who owns zip you know they can offer quite a complete package to oem brands when they're you know, um, specking up bikes. And I'm sure that's a pretty juicy segment of the market Shimano would like to tap into. So maybe we will see them expand the wheel range. Wait and see. But as it currently stands, if you're interested in unbranded wheels, oh, this is a bumper year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. And, and you know, we, we've seen some other new wheels as well. And uh, so on Israel Startup Nation, Chris Froome has been running lightweight uh, Meilenstein disc brake wheels on his Factor Ostro Vam. So that, you know, he's obviously taken those across from, well, not taken them across from Ineos, so he's brought a new pair because obviously Ineos, his, his ones would have been rim brake. And we've also seen Sergio Hanau of Quebeca Next Hash. He's been using a pair of unreleased mid-depth hunt wheels. And I think you spoke to a, someone at Hunt. Did they tell you about them? Yes, it's a pair of their, as of yet, unreleased prototype I quote 36 UD carbon spoke tubular wheels weighing in it's claimed 1,151 grams. Uh, these wheels are, as you say, a mid-depth carbon wheel, but more interestingly, they use carbon spokes, which uh, Hunt has used in a number of wheel sets now, and it comes with claims of slightly reduced weight, but they also claim increased stiffness and a better ride quality overall. Interesting stuff. I haven't actually used them, but they look kind of cool. They do look cool, and... You know, even I'm, I'm obviously famously not that interested in weight, but 1,151 grams is pretty light for a disc brake wheel set. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, it's interesting to see them going for tubs, I have to say. Investing in tubular tech in 2021 seems like an unusual move, um, given, you know, Hunt as a brand as a whole has been very much a proponent of tubeless and clincher tech. Um do we think that's maybe pro-influence now that they're was, sponsoring a world tour team? I was yeah. exactly going to say that. I think it just goes to show that, you know, the pros really do hold sway even over the most kind of forward-thinking brands. Um, yeah. Pros like tubs for better or worse. And maybe that's part of it. Though I'm sure there's a significant portion of the consumer market, a small but significant portion of the consumer <laughs> market that still like tubs. Well, I'm sure they'll find a place amongst the kind of hill climb fanatics who we know very well and love very well love very much so yeah if 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 hill climbs turn ever hill climbers ever turn to disc brakes then i'm sure these will find a home there but i think yeah i think the pro influence is probably 
a big reason behind that. But to be fair to Hunt, they they have obviously have convinced a few people to be to be running the kind of tubeless stuff at the high end as well. I've seen Victor Campanarts and uh, Max Welshide, they've both been using Hunt tubeless wheels in pro races. And I think Max Welshide even used the uh, limitless wheels on the double von two stage yesterday. So he's obviously a very smart boy. He is a very smart boy. He is also, Simon, currently the tallest cyclist in the world tour pro peloton. As I found out via a great article on leading multidiscipline cycling website, <laughs> bikeradar.com. You should check it out. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Go on, Simon. I don't think we've ever done a podcast where we haven't mentioned this. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, like we said at the start. So the yellow jersey is using disc brakes. And obviously, Podgicar had a little bit of a wobble on Von 2 yesterday, but didn't lose any time, just held it together. And like, to be frank, he's got a sort of five and a half minute lead and, and there's another time trial coming up and he might end up taking another four or five minutes out of people at this rate. So it's kind of looking like we're going to see the first Tour de France uh, one on disc brakes. And, you know, I mean, whether that's just sponsor pressure or it's his choice, I don't know. Don't but care. A, yeah, I don't really care. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a significant moment for tech just because, you know, that's kind of the one thing whenever we write about disc brakes, people kind of comment and say, well, you know, the Tour de France has never been won on disc brakes, so therefore they suck. Well, those commenters will no longer be able to make that comment. I'm sure they'll have to find something else to say. Yeah, they'll just it, tell it, us yeah. that we're being paid to say it or something. We're joking, of course. Yeah, Both of course. Of us. We love the comments. <laughs> we love the comments. We also love rim breaks. We also Absolutely. love disc breaks. Yeah. We love everyone. So yeah. maybe but don't I think um, <laughs> it would just, you know, it's a, it would be another kind of benchmark along that road and it will solve nothing. But yeah. it was worth commenting on because, you know, it's the first time, it's probably the first time. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the only way it won't happen this year is if Ineos Grenadiers have a sudden and dramatic reversal of fortunes but that's just not looking likely right now so yeah it's probably going to happen you know i like i think yeah the message is don't worry about it <laughs> no one's going to force you to buy a new bike <laughs> let's leave it at that because yeah. it's funny funny enough as it is um now one of the most beguiling stories of the tour has of course been mark cavendish's absolutely stupid Stunning return to form. A true love-in across the whole cycling world is him and Julian Alaphilippe have a good cuddling kiss at the end of every stage. It's absolutely delightful. But that's not what we're here, here to talk about. We're here <laughs> to talk about his tyres, which is much more interesting than his performance. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, clearly the tyres are the only reason he's winning these races. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, um, you know, like the rest of the De Kernick Quickstep team and a lot of the kind of Bora Hangra team, so it's two specialised sponsored teams, they have been using specialised turbo cotton clincher tyres on Roval Rapid CLX wheels. And that is because Specialised says that that is the fastest wheel and tyre combination that they make. Now, that's partly because the Roval Rapid CLX wheels are only available as clinchers. And it is interesting to note, as we've done a few times, that Specialized did in, I think, 2019, make a big song and dance that tubeless was going to be the next big thing. And then they released a wheel set that wasn't compatible with tubeless. And so all of a sudden, clinchers became the next big thing. But those are very fast tyres. And tubeless and clinchers are both potentially faster than tubulars. I think that's pretty well established. So 
it is interesting to see because I think you know a lot of people harp on about the advantage of a tubular, meaning that you know you can still you can run you can run it flat. So if you have a puncture, especially in a pro race, you can keep going until you can get a wheel change from the car. But it just hasn't been a problem for Quickstep, and you know they've won Flanders on clinches this year, and they've now won multiple tour stages on on these clinches this year. They've won four stages so far, uh, three for Cavendish and one for Alaphilippe, and Clearly, it's a very fast combination, and when you put it on a on a couple of very fast riders, it will, you know it all seems to work very well. Yeah, I mean, of course, like in a all out sprint, ultimately the reduction in rulings resistance is going to make a vast difference in that kind of scenario. Would it, Simon? It's really, of course, of like a time trial where it makes a bigger difference where you're um, you know out on your own. Or what would you say? I, yeah, I don't. You know, it's really hard for me to say. I, I don't. It's like any marginal gain, isn't it? Like they all they all add up, right? So if you know, I think what Specialized would say is that these are our fastest tires in terms of rolling resistance, and the Roval Rapides CLX are our fastest wheels in terms of aerodynamics. So the two together is the fastest combination. Whereas, you know, if they made a tubular version of that rim, it would be potentially lighter, and then some people might prefer that. But you know, like the weight when you're kind of sprinting. And especially, you know, people overplay the importance of rotating weight, in my opinion. And so the clincher with less rolling resistance and a, and a more aerodynamic wheel is, is going to be, you know, slightly faster than someone who's kind of using an equivalent tubular setup. And, and yeah, it's, it's not going to be a bike length difference, but if it's the different, you know, we, you know, we all remember Tom Pidcock losing to Wout Van Aert in uh, one of the spring classics this year by kind of millimetres. And, you know, I wonder if that is, that's the kind of difference that these kind of tech choices make. And, you know, the difference between winning and losing might be that small, but you either win or you lose. So I, I do think it's, you know, if you're a pro or even just someone who's interested in any kind of racing, like beating your mate in the long Ashton sprint, much more important, <laughs> you know, the kind of Champs-Élysées of, 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 of South Bristol, <laughs> then... Um, these these gains are really important. Yeah, and also, you know, poor old Cav has been quite uh, candid in his admission that he's found the long stages absolutely horrific. So maybe he's been very grateful for the reduced rolling resistance and the increased efficiencies that come with it to uh, just get him through the well, time cut. That's a really, you know, to be fair, that's a really good point. And certainly, you know, over a really long mountainous stage, the kind of difference between tires in terms of rolling resistance you know that theoretically could add, could add up to minutes if you kind of modeled it so yeah if you're only hitting the time cut by you know 30 seconds or something on a double von two stage i don't that's that's not what happened i'm just kind of guessing but then then that you know that kind of thing really can make the difference yeah i think it's a really good point oh thanks Simon. make me blush actually just very briefly on the uh, uh topic of modeling you spoke with swiss side and uh javier disley of AeroCoach, yep. and you did a really good piece on the Double Von 2 stage. We won't go into the full detail here because it is a good article. It's worth reading. But what was the kind of finding from this modelling? So, you know, obviously, so at a Tour de France stage, we have a double ascent of Mont Von 2, which, if, you know, for those who haven't ridden it, Mont Von 2 is a, is a really, really long, steep, hard climb. Kind of the, the hardest side is 15 kilometres at a kind of average of maybe seven or eight percent but there's a good stretch of 
six or seven K where it's over 10%. So it's the kind of, it's the kind of climb where you'd think weight would really, really make a big difference. But the modeling suggests, and, you know, Swiss side are a, you know, very smart brand, very smart people. They've worked, they've worked with people like Ineos Grenadiers in the past, and they have worked with Canyon to, to make the new Aero, the new Speedmax, and they do a lot of modeling. And DG Swiss as well. They do basically the same wheel set as DG Swiss, but they did the kind yes. of um, what's it called the consultation with them and other brands as well as you. Yeah. Mentioned. So the, and so they have a very complicated uh, kind of race simulation tool, and you can put in all the kind of variables that you think might happen, and based on data from previous races, they can kind of work out what would be the kind of fastest setup, and you know for the whole course, if you were you know if you were riding alone or if you were riding in a group or, you know, as a breakaway and all of these things. And then, you know, you can also break it down to just riding the climbs on their own, riding the descents on their own. Their analysis was essentially that because you have to do the whole course and also yesterday's stage finished on a, on a, after a very long descent, that an aero bike would be faster than a lightweight bike, even if it weighed a kilo more. Because whilst you might lose about 20 seconds on the climb, which all things considered isn't very much because we're talking about a 15 kilometer climb at over 10%. So if one kilo only loses you 20 seconds or so, that's not so bad. But in everywhere else on the course, the kind of flat rolling, because there were 70 kilometers of you know flat and rolling roads at the start and then all the descending, the aero bike would save you time overall. Now, Anyone who watched yesterday's stage would have seen I was that. Say, <laughs> this is all proven wrong. Well, so so this is the thing, right? You know, are the pros always right? I would argue, no. Like, you know, I think Wout van Aert, who won the stage, may have won the stage by more time had he been on an aero bike. Now, he may disagree, and the team may disagree, and that's fine. We can argue about it, but. I, I think, you know, for someone who's riding as fast as he does, the main thing holding him back is air resistance. And and obviously, yeah, he had to get over the climbs. But yeah, anyway, I just, it's a really interesting piece. And I would encourage you to go read it on bikeradio.com. And, you know, if you disagree with the analysis, leave a comment and, you know, we can have a, a lovely, polite conversation about it in the comments. <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> while I was watching this stage, I did notice a couple of riders descending, chasing desperately with their jerseys wide oh. open flapping in the trees <laughs> and I, I, Don't I was get me compelled, compelled to message Simon on WhatsApp because I knew how much it would have wound him up yeah, yeah we see that a lot less these days you know I think if you look back at tours 10 years ago you used to see a lot of people riding with kind of just flappy open jerseys and flappy gilets and things like that rather than taking them off and putting them in the back pocket and we see it a lot less these days because you know clothing especially you know your body accounts for kind of 80% of the drag in the overall rider and bike system. And so if you're leaving your jersey flapping around, that's costing you huge amounts of energy. And I guess, it, you know, if you're Wout Van Aert and you've clearly got what's coming out of your ears, then maybe you can afford to, you know, to do that. But for everyone else, like you say, if you're trying to desperately chase back on and you're, you know, you're pedaling your hardest, like just zip up the jersey. I, you know, I, I, I find it... <laughs> I know it's easy. It's easy to say when you're an armchair supporter, and obviously when you're when you've just climbed Von Two and you're a little bit hypoxic, hypoxic, <laughs> and you know you're on the limit and you're two weeks into a race. It you know it's easier said than done. And so I, I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing anyone. Yeah, you should anyone. go race the tour, Simon. Since yeah. you know so much about all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I was blessed with the genes, then maybe I could have an opinion. But um, 
No, uh, uh, yeah. It, it, I just think I find these things really interesting because there's, you know, our understanding of performance and what really helps people go fast is quickly evolving. And there are a lot of interesting brands and people out there who are really looking at this stuff in big detail. So hopefully that piece was a kind of, you know, there, there may have been teams who had done this kind of analysis themselves. And, you know, I'm, I want, I have to wonder if there were a few boffins who were pleading with riders mm -hmm. to, <laughs> to change their setups ahead of this, a stage like this to say, you know, you will be faster if you use these wheels and these tires and this setup and, you know, and then the riders just go, yeah, but it's 200 grams. I don't, I don't want to carry 200 grams. So who knows? Careful, Simon. Someone might be listening. They might scoop you up and take you away <laughs> to the tour. We won't be able to do podcasts like this anymore. Anyway, uh, now on to one of your favourite hobby horses. We have New Fast Time Trial Kit. You have changed the course of Bike Radar editorial coverage forever with your dogged chasing of time trial tech. So give us a brief overview of the new juicy stuff you've seen this year. Yeah, so as is kind of becoming, you know, de rigueur these days, we've seen lots of kind of expensive custom front ends and those kind of parts are mainly focused on the kind of handlebars. So where you rest your elbows and things like that, because, you know, anything you can do to kind of smooth the airflow over the leading edge is always going to be handy. And, you know, holding a time trial position isn't always the most comfortable thing. And so if you can get handlebar extensions that support your weight a little bit more evenly across the whole length of your forearm rather than just that kind of specific point on your elbow. I think that that may also be a comfort game, which could be quite good. So yeah, we see lots of custom front ends. Uh, Matthew van der Poel was using uh, an aero coach front end. I think it had the Ascalon extensions. Tajay Pojakar appeared to be using Speedbar NL custom carbon fiber front end extensions. And Michael Woods of Israel Startup Nation also has some very fancy high-end kit from the UK-based brand Watchshop. So, yeah, th th this, st this stuff is everywhere. And, it, and I think it just kind of shows the, the money that's being poured into time trials now. You know, a few years ago, it would have been just Ineos with those um, custom 3D-printed titanium extensions. But everyone's kind of, you know, as, as you said earlier, everyone's kind of looking enviously at what they're doing and... Yeah, realizing that yeah, these are these are small gains, but you've got to have them. On the um, you very briefly mentioned comfort there with those uh, those armrests. Obviously, the aero advantage is significant with them. It smooths airflow of your arms, narrow position, blah, blah blah, all the usual stuff. But particularly in that time trial, which was it's not stupidly long, but it was a long time trial for the tour, longest since when, Simon? Uh, it's, yeah, I think, well, it was sort of 30 kilometers, which is, I don't think that's, that's that long, but it's reasonably hilly. And mm -hmm. yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of 10 kilometer time trial that you, yeah. you know, you might see in a prologue or something. So yeah, comfort was definitely a consideration for some. Because yeah, if you can stay in a comfortable position for longer and Absolutely. Help, then you're going to be more aerodynamic. And as you just said about, ooh, 30 seconds ago, 80% of drag is to do with the, the body. So if you can maintain that aero position all the better. Uh, so yeah, yeah always, it, as always, your favorite subject, Simon, <laughs> and it's an excruciating detail in the article. <laughs> yeah, so, and you know, so we've seen, you know, lots of other things. And again, like lots of big chain rings, kind of 58 tooth chain rings were pretty common because obviously everyone's looking for efficiency gains and, you know, it just helps, it, you know, obviously 
the, the chain ring itself means the chain doesn't have to bend quite so extremely around the, around the chain ring. And so that's a small efficiency gain. But I think more of it is that it just helps you put the chain a bit further up the cassette rather than being in, say, 5312, you end up in 5816 or something like that, or 5815, and you have a better chain line, more efficient, less kind of friction, and another marginal gain, but it's a pretty easy one to do, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't come with any kind of penalty. So most people are doing that. I think the biggest chain ring I saw was under Mr. Tall Guy, Max Walshide. He had a 62, so he's obviously very hard. Uh, I didn't see any bigger than that. I think, I guess if you start going bigger than that, maybe there's an aerodynamic penalty that starts to outweigh in the efficiency gain. I would wonder about that. Well, perhaps it becomes a UCI illegal fairing because it's simply <laughs> yeah. larger than a dinner plate, this <laughs> solid slab of aluminium. <laughs> yeah. We also saw a couple of new helmets. Uh, Walshied was wearing a new one from Ekoi, and I don't think I've ever seen an Ekoi helmet in real life other than on Tour de France cyclists. But it was a kind of classic teardrop design. Looked looked very nice. Uh, Yamo Visma had an updated version of the Laser Volante time trial helmet, which kind of garnered some negative press last year when Roglic kind of discarded his, his visor and it just looked very sort of strange sitting on top of his head, exposing his ears. And so Yamo Visma this year had a version which covered the ears with or without the visor. And, you know, whether that's just for kind of allowing the riders to discard the visor and still maintain some aerodynamic efficiency or not, or if it's just a kind of an aesthetic thing because Roglic got hurt by all the kind of mean comments, I, you know, I don't really know. But, um, but yeah, so I wonder if that will make it out to the public version at some point. And Richard Carapaz of Team Ineos Grenadiers also had a new cask time trial helmet, very similar to the kind of Bambino Pro Evo, but it has a very dramatic chop off of the tail. I, I don't know why. I presume. I, I wonder if it's just again making making that helmet a little bit less sensitive to head position. Obviously, the longer the tail gets, the more it matters that you keep your head, you know, in the right position. And so it's kind of yeah, trying to balance that of having a very long tail, which makes a very fast helmet, but also having a helmet that works when you, you know, your, your head position isn't perfectly ideal. Or maybe it's kind of like a lizard and somebody tried to grab it just before the race and it just fell off. Could yeah, be that. So it might grow back. We'll never see it. It might know. grow back. <laughs> um, right, that's it. That's enough time trial tech. Nobody needs to hear anymore. We can, we can well, I just want, I want to say one thing, like Pelo Bilbao of Team Bahrain Victorious had an unpainted uh, Merida Warp TT bike and, and I just want to say that I imagine that was to save weight and I imagine it made no difference at all. Well, it made a difference to how it looked, which leads us on beautifully to our next point, Simon, because snazzy paint jobs have been in, uh, well, say decent numbers at this year's tour. Not as many as we'd like, but there has been some pretty juicy paint jobs across the board. Yeah, obviously, I think most people would have probably seen uh, Matthew van der Poel's yellow Canyonero CFR and uh, we've covered that in a standalone article that was a very nice bike obviously Julian Alaphilippe is riding his world champions themed specialized tarmac SL7 now he's been riding that for a few months but he's riding it at the tour he's resplendent in the world champions jersey as a commentator might say and his bike is also looking very nice um, 
Tajay Pojakar has been riding a Colnago V3RS in half black, half yellow. And I don't know if that's just to save weight or because Colnago don't want to tempt fate and don't want to give him the full yellow bike until Paris. Not sure. I think the the best paint job for me has to be the, the team bikes that Trek Segafredo have been riding. Now, Project One and, or Trek, I should say, and their Project One custom program have long produced some very snazzy paint jobs, but these kind of ultra gloss kind of marbly red paint jobs are just stunning and so cool yeah i think they look absolutely fantastic i don't know how much weight that paint adds but honestly i don't care i think it just looks absolutely fantastic so more of that never understood the mindset of bike brands who send teams off to big races with bikes in anything but the most wild paint jobs possible because one cycling media sadders like you and i will talk about it a lot and that's good marketing but two like it's so easy to just lose your bike in a sea of other bikes i don't know why every single team bike isn't some crazy variation of colors that just looks wild it would be a marketing coup everyone would love it look at all this noise that people made with um well it was ef pro cycling to whatever it was last season when they released that ridiculous the duck themed helmet all that <laughs> stuff yeah you know imagine imagine what we talk about if a whole team came out with you know 10 different painted bikes we'd love it we would I love it yeah I, I you know I, I think the sad the sad thing is is that people are just so concerned i say people pros the teams are so concerned with weight you know mm. that they just they don't want to have a bike that weighs you know 300 grams more it's it's really sad because I, I think these bikes look absolutely fantastic. And, mm. you know, as you say, the Tour de France is the sport's biggest shop window. And, yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. I, I, want, I want to see more of it. So kudos to mm. Trek for making mm. those beautiful, beautiful bikes because they look absolutely fantastic. And I think, um, I think yeah, team I mechanics should make more of a habit of just lying. Just yeah. lying, telling yeah. them they're clinchers, telling them they're uh, lighter <laughs> than they actually are. And, you know, give me something to talk about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we haven't seen Cav on a green bike yet, so maybe that's that's the one to come. And he has been wearing that, I mean, I think it looks awful, that all green <laughs> skin suit. Um, I, just don't like, I just don't like the colour of green. but um, I quite like it. It looks, he looks a bit like a... Um, a Kieran rider, you know, like yeah. a Japanese Kieran uh, uh, yes. track rider. I like it. Okay. Well, so hopefully we'll see him on a similarly garish all green bike and we can, you know, we'll run a feature on it specialised. So <laughs> get onto it. Get onto anyway, it. thank you very much, Simon. Of course, if you want to see all of the uh, details, do head to bikerader.com to read this article, especially if you want to read about time trial tech, because Simon would have <laughs> talked for the full podcast if I'd let him. Uh, Please don't forget to subscribe. Check out our other podcasts from the tour. Sort of separate to this, we've just had a really cool podcast with Lachlan Morton, who is currently riding the whole length of the Tour de France, including the transfers, on his own solo. And uh, our editor-in-chief, George Scott, did a really good interview with him. So do check that out. And enjoy the rest of the tour. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you very much, Jack. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.